You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. This episode is all about gratitude, addressing this concept from the perspective of cultivating a special appreciation for the neutral moments in our lives. This is a discipline that has the potential to change the resting state of your mood. I hope you'll enjoy this talk and the short questions that follow. And when you're ready to practice, you can always find me online at omstars.com and on all social channels at Kino Yoga. I'll see you soon. Enjoy the talk. Hi, everyone. It's Tina here. Thanks for joining this Dharma talk. Today, I want to begin by talking with you about the concept of gratitude. And I know it's pretty popular to think about how to cultivate gratitude, especially during this season. But I want to unpack what gratitude and what the what you could call cultivating a spirit of thankfulness, how that can really impact you on a daily basis and how that can really impact you for the better and kind of why that's important. So first of all, there is a notion that no matter what's happening in the world around you, there is one space of freedom that every human being always has. And that one space of freedom is going to be in the realm of how you react to any given situation and your reaction level, how you react and how you respond to what's happening in the world around you. This is a place where you will almost always find that you always have control over that, even if it feels like you don't have control over that. It's not to say that you cannot influence circumstances outside of yourself or change what it is you're actually experiencing. But the place where you'll have the most kind of ability to actually exert some fundamental change is in how you're reacting to any given situation. I didn't discover this. In fact, this is the teaching that comes from a very famous psychologist named Viktor Frankl in a book titled Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl talks about inserting space between stimulus and response. And Viktor Frankl, uh, you know, theorized that in that space lies the only real freedom that human beings actually have is in the space between freedom and the space between the stimulus and the response. And Viktor Frankl discovered this in the midst of a truly devastating situation. For those of you that are unfamiliar with Viktor Frankl's work, he's a Holocaust survivor that during what well, a, a truly horrific period of human history and during uh, the experience of an atrocity, the likes of which none of us in our contemporary day and age could probably even imagine, he was able to study human psychology. And one of the things that he was able to grasp was that even chained and bound and restricted 
beyond the likes of which, again, as I said, we can imagine, Viktor Frankl discovered that he was still able to claim a certain amount of freedom, that his spirit was not broken, because he found that even in these horrific circumstances, he could choose, he was free to choose how he could respond to the external stimulus that he was encountering day by day. So that rather than being a victim to circumstance, he could choose how he would respond. Additionally, Viktor Frankl also discovered and shared in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that those individuals who were able to tell the story of meaning and give meaning to the why of what they were experiencing, that those were the individuals who were most likely to survive in those horrific circumstances. How does that impact you and how does that relate to gratitude? Well, we think about this, there's really no way that an aspect of gratitude could be an emotion or a feeling that someone like Viktor Frankl in the circumstance that he was in or any, you know, anyone who's suffering to that degree would be expected to feel. Yet, if there is a space between stimulus and response, in every situation, there's an opportunity to choose a course of action, a course of response that will lead to the feeling of more peace and more happiness, and potentially the feeling of more depth and more meaning to create a kind of experience of well-being, or at least an experience of less harm. So we cannot say in a circumstance, a horrific circumstance, like being in a concentration camp during the Holocaust, that anyone would be grateful of anything or that anyone would be considered to be in a positive mood or flourishing or in any other way, you know, living a good life. So if we can understand that the tool of cultivating an attitude of gratitude doesn't necessarily need to be overly bombastic or forcefully positive, but instead is a way to choose what type of response you make and what type of response you give to difficult situations so that then in every moment that presents itself to you, whether that moment is pleasurable or whether that moment is not pleasurable, you have the ability to consciously insert a little bit of space between the stimulus and the response and thereby cultivate a little bit more freedom in your life, breaking the chains and the inertia of the past so that you can choose something new potentially in the present and thereby alter what you can think about as the timeline of your life. Without that conscious awareness of what's happening, without the awareness of what is actually going on between the stimulus and the response, if that space is too shortened, if there's a stimulus and an automatic response, then this is what we call in yoga a samskara, a behavioral pattern that's already implanted in the fabric of the mind and of the personality and in the, really the habit pattern of who we are. So whenever there's a stimulus and there's no space between that stimulus and the response, we're reacting based on the past and not actually present with what's happening in the moment and very far away from the experience of freedom. So at the very least on the spiritual path of yoga, we seek to insert a little bit more space between whatever stimulus we're facing in the world and what our response might be. 
And in that space, we're able to hopefully choose a more intelligent response that's not necessarily rooted in the repetitions of the past, but might be rooted in a future that we want to experience, a future that we want to experience. So in any given situation, the human mind will have the tendency to qualify whatever it is you're experiencing into three tones. You might have heard these three tones before. These three tones are understood to be positive, negative, and neutral. So that means that every stimulus that comes in, your mind is judging whatever that stimulus is and making a kind of categorization in terms of positive, negative, or neutral. It's going through it again, positive, negative, neutral. You're reacting to it. When we experience those things which we identify as negative, these are identified and defined as those things which are the source of suffering. And we generate usually what's called, if we're unconscious in our reaction patterns, we generate an aversion or said in kind of plain English, we don't like it. If we identify something as negative, we usually don't like it. And then when we don't like something, we tend to push it away or avoid it, try to make that experience lessen in our lives. The opposite is true the other way. If you identify a stimulus as positive, the untrained mind will immediately gravitate towards that and engage in a kind of attachment clinging that seems to say, yes, give me more. I want more of that. The third tone, which is the most overlooked, the neutral tone. In the neutral tone, we generally don't react with attachment or aversion, but we often disregard the neutral. And when the neutral tone happens, we very often just gloss over it, and don't take stock of it, and pass over it as though it's not there. <clears throat> well, the interesting thing to note about these three tones when we're thinking about categorizing the stimulus that arrives from our experience of life, while it might seem like reading your social media thread and feed online that the world exists in polarizing opposites of intense pleasure and intense displeasure and intense like and don't like and arguments of one extreme to the other extreme. It seems like that, certainly does. And I would even say that those social media algorithms have been designed to make you even more extreme in what you see and what you engage in in that world. So even though that's what you think you see when it's online, the truth about life, actual life, like life offline, when you're not scrolling on the social media feed, when you're talking to real people and going about doing, not that the people online are not real, but I think you know what I mean by engaging face-to-face -face in person with people, or going about your day, grocery shopping, or walking your dog, or doing the laundry or the dishes. The vast majority of the tone of life occurs in the eventless horizon of neutrality. Most things are neutral. Most things don't actually have such a strong tone. And because of this, the reactivity that we've habituated the mind tends to drive the frequency and the vibration of how we think about life. 
Now, this is very interesting, I think. If you can understand that the vast majority of what you experience in life is neutral, then you can consciously choose to skew that neutrality ever so slightly positive. And here's where the practice of gratitude comes in. If you can take what is neutral and understand that that neutrality is in itself a blessing, that it's not only the extremes of intense pleasure, which are worthy of your attention, but actually those seemingly eventless moments of neutrality, and nothing happens on the vast horizon of life, that those moments too are worthy of celebrating, then we can inject kind of a magical element. We can inject a magical element into the everyday ordinariness of life so that the mundane aspects of what we encounter on a daily situation can suddenly be illuminated with a kind of spiritual wisdom, a transcendence that can make you celebrate the ordinary glories of your waking life and moments that may have just passed over into a field of nothingness in the past. Let me give you a few examples of this. Sometimes when people are asked to think about things that they're grateful for, they tend to go for the peak experiences of their lives, focus on the birth of a child or the accomplishment of some major goal, you know, that day I graduated from school or, or graduate school or some other, you know, major event, the day I got that promotion or the day that, you know, something major happened along those lines. Those peaks, they're there. You should most certainly let the good of those peaks in. But if you can interact with the neutral stimuli of life and then learn to cultivate gratitude, this attitude, right, frequency of gratitude, will have a positive impact on your mood and will have a positive impact on your emotional state and will encourage you to break a stream of habit pattern, habitual thinking that tends to skew towards the negative rooted in the past. So as a practice, I encourage you to wake up each morning and think of three things that you're grateful for, three small things that you're grateful for, unique to every single day. And before you go to sleep at night, I encourage you again to think of three small things that you were grateful for, unique about that day that transpired and has just passed. And these are some small tools that you can use to help you focus in on those neutral moments that you might not normally be able to celebrate. If you're a yoga practitioner and you get on your mat, just being grateful that you got on your mat is one of the things that you can celebrate. I celebrate that every time I get on my mat. I just think thank you for this opportunity to practice because I know that, first of all, not everyone has the opportunity to practice. And Second of all, even those with the opportunity to practice, for whatever reason, sometimes don't practice, myself included. Billions of people that are on the planet, what percentage of those people do yoga? I wish it were 100%. If you're practicing yoga, you're part of a small percentage of spiritual practitioners who are engaged in a contemplative life. And that's something to be thankful for. So to wake up each morning and say, thank you, I'm grateful today that I'm gonna get to do my yoga practice. If you manage to do your practice that day, I'm so grateful that I have the technique of yoga. Sometimes, again, it can be the experience of just everyday ordinary items. If you have never paused and thought about what a wonderful invention 
the toothbrush is. This is a truly miraculous and life-changing device that just a hundred or thousands of thousand years ago was not in existence. The invention of toothpaste and have that and the invention of dental floss. If we think about how grateful we can be for such a small, ordinary thing, a fresh pot of coffee each morning or a fresh bag of tea that's been steeped perfectly to give you that perfect little dose of caffeine that you'll need to start your day. These neutral moments that you might not celebrate, you tend to take for granted. The cohabitation or the sharing space of with friends or family members that you might just gloss over as part of an everyday experience to, to stop each moment and say, I'm grateful that I'm able to share space with this other human being. We live together and we share some highs and lows and life experiences. Inserting that space between the stimulus of everyday life and the response. You I really encourage you to really put in the effort to do this in the neutral moments of your life because we need a strong new habit pattern of the mind if we're going to craft kind of a new way forward. Remember, I talked a little bit about the samskaras, the behavioral patterns, which are deeply enmeshed in the fabric of the mind. These are past reaction patterns that have been repeated so many times that they become habituated and aggregate into larger patterns of personality. Not only is this an esoteric spiritual concept, but the idea that the more you engage in one type of behavior or action or reaction, the more likely and easier it is that you'll engage in that type of action and reaction again in the future is confirmed by numerous studies in contemporary neuroscience that use the terminology like neurons that fire together, wire together, which means that the more you think a particular type of thought and the more you'll think thoughts like that so that that wiring gets stronger and stronger. The way I like to think about our past samskaras and our ability to continually repeat the past is something like this. This is an analogy that I'll give you. If you think about the mind, the open potential of the mind as a vast field, and that field is just open, nothing has been on, has been, no, no path has been tread on that field. This is the unique potential of the human mind, just vast and open. Well, if you start thinking a particular type of thoughts and you engage in that particular type of thought. That's like taking one path and crafting one path down that open field. Well, if you walk on that one path over and over and over again, that path becomes what we could call well-trodden or walked on a lot. And what happens to an open field with a path that's taken by many people over and over again well, the grass dies where you walk over and over again, and then there's a clearly defined path. And that's the same way thoughts happen inside of the brain. Before you ever think a thought, the brain is just this open field of potential. And when you react a certain way, that thought treads a path down in the neural pathways or neural fields of the mind, creating a pathway to go through that same experience over and over again. And the more that you walk down that path, the more easier it is to walk down that path over and over and over again. In fact, 
you might walk down that path so much so that it's indistinguishable from truth. You might think that that path or that reaction is simply how things are. It may become a theory of life for you, at which point that larger aggregate pattern has set in as a mindset, a paradigm, or a way of thinking about things. It is literally your view about life. Now, if that view of life is working for you, if that path is leading you towards peace, happiness, harmony, and a good life, please continue down that path. However, if that path has been created unconsciously, and if that path is taking you down a road that leads to suffering, pain, delusion, and harm towards yourself and others, you as a spiritual practitioner will want to do everything possible to stop walking down that path and craft a new path to let the grass grow so that that neural pathway is no longer available for you and no longer easy and second nature. You will have to update your thinking about life. And it's so hard to do that. So now let's go back to our positive, negative, and neutral. If the tones of life are primarily neutral, the habit pattern that you develop when you're confronted with neutral stimuli has the best potential to lay the neural groundwork for how you'll respond to intense highs and intense lows. If you can practice being grateful for the small, ordinary moments of your life and really celebrating and relishing and cherishing each moment that arises, then in moments of distress and moments when there is intense suffering, then you might not necessarily be able to be grateful for that suffering, but it might lessen the proclivity, the inertia that will pull you into the strong reaction patterns of the past, which lead to suffering. And you may have a little bit less likelihood to be reactive in a negative way towards the discomfort. Instead, you might be able to just choose neutrality. You might be able to just choose not to react. And the same thing goes with intense positives. If all of, you know, if every time you experience something that's intensely positive, if you immediately grasp and cling on to that, then the pattern of the mind will be to crave more and more positive experiences, fueling a cycle that is very similar to addiction. So we need to break this habit pattern of the mind. That's why we're coming into this uh, spiritual practice of yoga. In order to do that, you have to be willing to question your thoughts. So, as I mentioned before, if the habit pattern of the mind crystallizes to the degree that it becomes an aggregate pattern and establishes itself in your personality as a mindset or a paradigm, it is those type of thoughts are often indistinguishable from truth. You will think that this is just how reality is, but your thoughts are not necessarily always and incontrovertibly true. If you assume that everything you think is 100% true, then you are likely having very little space between the stimulus of your external world and your reaction to that external world. You're likely just being driven by the inertia of the past.
So first, question your thoughts. Always think about, is what I'm thinking absolutely, 100% always true? Or is there a thought that might seemingly contradict my steadfast belief and yet be equally true in its opposite? Let me share you a little story that I think will help illustrate this point. <clears throat> when I went to undergraduate school, I took a class that was called the political novel. It sounds like a really riveting class, I know, political novel. Not really sure why I signed up for that. But um, <clears throat> I like, I know why I signed up for it. I kind of like politics a little bit and I love really good literature. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. The task that we had in this undergraduate class was a really brilliant exercise in understanding thinking and the ability to present arguments and, and to question one's thoughts. So our task in this course I took called the political novel was to read a book each week. That was already a big ask to read each and the books were defined by the professor, read this book. Then each week we had to produce a paper that had a thesis, whatever thesis we decided was up to us. But the key with this class, which was so interesting in terms of how it challenged me to question the basis of my thinking, really what paradigms are and what habit patterns are. The task was read this book, come up with a thesis about what this author is trying to say, and then pick three points from the book that can both prove and disprove your thesis. You have to learn in this class to argue for your point of view and against your point of view using the exact same examples. So this was really challenging my paradigm. I previously, up until that moment, had kind of staked out a claim to truth within myself. If I felt like something was true, if I felt like this was a thesis that I was going to get behind, I would argue and my point of view and I would, I would hold on to my point of view, you know, with all, with my heart and soul, you know, I really believed it. Now, this is what this author is trying to say. And I would really put my, I would be so invested in my arguments. You know, and then after that class, I thought, how can I be invested in my argument when I can equally disprove myself? So will these polarized extremes have a point on either side? And this allowed me to question my paradigm. If my thinking towards this one thing is equal and opposite in the other direction, how many other things am I thinking? I thought to myself in my life that are not actually incontrovertibly and universally true, but are just a habit pattern that I've repeated so many times that I don't know anything other than it. How do I know for sure what is objectively true versus just what is my opinion that is so hardened, I think it's the truth. I really appreciate having that class in university to change my way of thinking. And now, even though I think we all have the tendency to fight heart and soul for what we believe to be true, to really understand that habit patterns of the mind are real, we are on the spiritual path to challenge what is merely a habit pattern reaction, what is essentially a samskara, and to be able to distinguish what is true and what is untrue, what is just my reaction, my preference, my personal like and dislike, my feeling about something, which has its validity, but is not universally true for all beings.
there is a difference between feeling and universal truth. And yoga is a path that is designed to help you craft out the distinction between what is your preference, your personal preference, your reaction, and what is universally true on a grand and cosmic sense. If you think about this, then I'd like to present to you what is a, a traditional story from the uh, teaching of the spiritual path of yoga about the quest of, towards knowledge. And this is a story you've probably heard before, but in this context, I think it could shine a good deal of light on how the methodology of yoga can teach you to uh, unlearn those habit patterns of the mind. Well, a concept of the way that we as individuals here on this planet as individual beings experience knowledge is presented as a collection of very a group of blind people who have been who have never who've never heard of an elephant before and this group of say you know five or eight blind people this collection of blind people is brought into a room and as asked to feel the elephants and then one of them then describe what they say and then one person who's hugging uh the 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 trunk of the elephant says oh an elephant is like a long hose a long hose that seems to curl and coil another one that is holding the tail says oh an elephant is like a skinny rope that's a very coarse and has a little bush at the end of it another one that's holding the ear of the elephant says, an elephant is a floppy mess that seems to have no substance at all. Another one that's touching the body of the elephant says, an elephant is like a wall. It is a wall, a big thick wall that nobody can move. Another one who's holding the leg of the elephant says that the elephant is like the stump of a tree. Each blind human being holding on to their personal view of reality, arguing with their full heart and soul. No, this is true. This is absolutely true because this is what I have experienced. No, the other one says back and forth. Elephant is like this. Elephant is like this. Only that individual that can see the whole picture of the elephant can say, actually, each of you blind ones sit with a piece of the truth none of which tells the story of wholeness. Yet, if you link your stories together, you will be able to come closer to the experience of truth. The only way that we can experience this closer view of wholeness is to link our experiences of truth together and to slow down the reaction patterns of the mind so that we can insert space between stimulus and response so that no matter which piece of the elephant you're holding, you're not going to fight too strongly against someone who's holding a different piece of the elephant, meaning your view of reality. Your view of reality has led you to believe a particular thing, which is crystallized as your mindset. And if you argue heart and soul against somebody who's holding a different piece of reality, whose view is crystallized to the point that it is their mindset and their paradigm, you will both be true within your own universes, but wrong fundamentally from the perspective of wholeness. Yoga as a philosophy seeks to insert space between stimulus and response so that if you're holding the trunk of the elephant and someone else says, 
No, no, it's like a wall. Instead of immediately jumping and saying, no, it's not a wall, you might be able to say, I'm so grateful that you have a different perspective. Maybe I can pop over to your perspective and see what it's like over there when you say it's like a wall. So that now, because you didn't react from the past, you were liberated. You were freed to experience a broadened perspective, what you could call more knowledge. Not yet the complete picture of the elephant, but when you left your trunk, your limited perspective came over to the midsection of the elephant. You said to your friend who was also on the path, I see what you mean. It is kind of like a wall over here. Do you want to come see what it's like over where I am? Because it's really different where I am. And then you two together are that little bit more towards wholeness. We should not as human beings be so narcissistic or egotistical to think that we're the ones that see the whole picture. I'm not. I certainly know that I have my pieces of the elephant. All I'm trying to do is not be too rigid in my claim towards those pieces. The way I think about life, and you could even say the way that yoga presents the theory of complete omniscience, is that the only being that is truly omniscient, according to our traditional yoga philosophy, is not any individual human being, but as a transcendent divine being, sort of the cosmic being, what you could call God if you believe in God, or what you could call the intelligence and heartbeat of the universe if you don't find yourself particularly aligned with the concept of divinity. That it is only in that notion of what the Yoga Sutra is called Ishwara that omniscience exists. Omniscience is all-knowingness. So as long as we understand that our limited perspective exists, then the seed of knowledge within us has the potential to expand. And that humility comes from the recognition that we are an individual holding on to one small perspective of reality that has its validity, but it's not absolutely true. In order to expand beyond that limited capacity, the yoga practice trains you to insert space between the stimulus and the response, whatever is stimulating you and whatever is your habit pattern of the mind, so that you can choose a different path. And I encourage you to put in the work to cultivate a new path in the neutral moments of your life so that you can really think about cultivating that experience of gratitude. And, I, and, and before we move on to the point where we take questions, so if you do have any questions, just think about those for a moment. I want you to take a few moments right now and maybe uh, go through in your mind a few things that you can think about that are neutral, that you're grateful for right now. It could be something as simple as, I'm grateful for the building that surrounds me, that I, that I have a home, that I'm not homeless. Whatever humble state, the home, the abode that I find myself in, I'm grateful for that. There are walls around me and I'm not wandering on the street. If you had anything to eat today, maybe you want to just pause and think for a moment. I'm so grateful that I had something to eat today. There are those who did not. I'm so grateful that I woke up today. I'm alive another day. The gift of life. I'm here. If you have your sight, you can see. I'm so grateful that I can see. If you have all 10 fingers, take a moment. I'm so grateful for all these 10 fingers. They're here. They work. I'm so grateful for my health. If you woke up healthy today, we just think about those small, perceptible moments of gratitude that are seemingly neutral. You can think about every day. 
Remember those three moments of gratitude. First thing you do when you get up in the morning, because if not, that inertia of the past will start to just pull you forward into replication and repetition. So insert kind of a circuit breaker. and Let those three moments of gratitude be a powerful circuit breaker. Three things you're grateful for first thing in the morning. It could be the toothbrush. It could be that you woke up. It could be toilet paper. You know, there was sometimes during the past year when toilet paper was not available. You know, so you could think, wow, I have a toilet paper today. Thank you, toilet paper, for being there. Wonderful. Any little thing you can think about to be grateful for. Then at the end of the day, those three points again, I usually like this right as I'm falling asleep. Don't be hard on yourself. Not the time to be a critic at that moment. I'm grateful I made it to the end of this day. I'm grateful I ate things throughout this day. Those were kind of yummy. I maybe drank things that were also yummy. I'm grateful that I nourished my body. I'm grateful for the bed that I'm in. This is a wonderful bed. Maybe there's one unique thing in each day, something you're looking forward to in the morning. Or maybe there's one thing at the end of the day you can celebrate. Grateful I did my yoga practice or something along those lines. So I encourage you to do that as a take-home assignment so that you can insert that circuit breaker in the inertia of the past and learn to craft a new path forward in the fields of the mind. So now we have a little bit of time if there are any questions. And we'll do that again the way that we did before was if you type them into the chat and we'll be able to kind of move through those. So I'll give you a moment to work through those questions if there are any. Any questions yet? Okay. So we have a question about low motivation and what can you do if you're feeling a lack of motivation? What do you do if you feel particularly during times of stress? That you feel extremely, you know, unmotivated, maybe to do your yoga practice or to do things that are kind of good for you. First, recognize the period of stress. And this is important. I feel like there are a lot of people that when they read about um, positivity or trying to get their life in a positive direction, then as soon as they're experiencing a period of stress, then what they think mistakenly and in a deluded, delusional sort of way is that the way to deal with that is to ignore the stress and pretend that it's not happening. Just kind of, you know, immediately flop. Everything is awesome. Life is wonderful. This is a, a sort of false high that has a big crash coming at the end. So number one, if you're unmotivated because you're experiencing a period of difficulty, a stressful period of your life, acknowledge that life is difficult at the moment. Let it in. I acknowledge that life is difficult right now. There are some stressful uh, currents that are running through uh, the waters of my life right now. It's a little difficult here and in the world and that inner space. I'm finding it challenging to just survive right now, number one. Number two, I can really recommend the practice of gratitude for neutral things during those periods of lack of motivation. Because during periods of lack of motivation, you can really skew negative about everything. Oh, who cares about yoga anyway? Oh, who cares about this? You know, why do I need to eat healthfully? Maybe I just eat bags and bags of chips every day. You know, who cares about all? It doesn't matter. We can easily get into a sort of destructive state of apathy um, and uh, nihilism. So we want to 
really practice celebrating the neutral in those moments. It's going to be hard in periods of unmotivation to find something really, really high, but to focus on something positive. I'm grateful I have a cup of tea this morning. Great. I'm grateful I still have a computer that works. I'm grateful I still have a phone that works. And, and you'll find the mind going, yeah, but it's not the newest model. Yeah, but this is a crappy computer. You'll find that in there. And just have to work with discipline. Okay, I'm going to be grateful for what is right now. So we do that. The number three, so this is the third thing if you're unmotivated. Try to join some community that will keep you motivated. So here on, uh, if we think about a community, how do we join a community that can keep you motivated? Well, these live classes that we're hosting here on OMSTARS are a wonderful sense of community because you can tap in and see your fellow yoga practitioners practicing. You can type into the chat. You can meet people in a safe space of alignment around the singular purpose of yoga. So I really recommend these three things to keep you on the track. I guess the fourth thing, last thing is if you have the opportunity to join an immersion, a retreat, or other intensive format of study, this can kind of infuse you with a dose of motivation. And just signing up for something like that, even if it's a few months down the road, can kind of inspire you to get on your mat today. Because you might think, well, I know I have this immersion coming up in two months, so I'm going to practice. I'm gonna, it'll be your motivation to start practicing where you are now. I hope that was helpful. What else have we got? Okay. How can you stay grateful when there's so much negativity and frustration around? It's difficult. And sometimes it feels incredulous to try to be grateful for the thing, which is very annoying. However, this is something you can actually train your mind to do, but only if you have a very strong new pattern of training to be grateful of the neutral. If you can't learn to be grateful, if you can't learn to be grateful of the neutral, then when we experience intense periods of negativity and frustration and irritation, we just don't have the inertia towards gratitude. So we'll just be sort of overwhelmed by the riptide of negativity. Here's a couple of examples that I can share with you. First of all, um, and I was teaching a yin yoga class today, which some of you have joined. During the class, uh, there was a sound which was not to my liking, which had occurred during the class. There was somebody using a power tool uh, very nearby where the yin yoga class was happening. Now, if it were a power yoga class, I may have been uh, perhaps felt in tune with the power tool. But during the yin yoga class, which is really about dropping your mind down to and body down into a very kind of alpha state of harmony and healing, I found the sound of the power tool to be extremely disruptive. And I had a very strong negative reaction towards it. And I'll admit that in that moment, the only thing I could be thankful for was when it would end. So I thought at some moment, I am so grateful that this will end at some moment. But in the moment, I, I, at the same time, I had this experience of being irritated. I'm irritated. Why do they need to saw things or whatever it was they were doing right now? This is irritating. And I, want, I had the urge, my, my reaction, my habit pattern, that groove I'd worked in the past. 
some part of my body had already risen up and gone outside and, and, and interacted with this thing. Could you please stop for one moment? I had already cast out the potentials of asking the person, utilizing the power tool to please delay for just a little bit. And then I had a second, I didn't do it, obviously. I stayed in the uh, teaching the class. And then the second thought I had was, okay, I'm going to let that go. Now I'm working with my mind. Focus on my breath, focus on my body, focus on I'm teaching, focus on number three. I'm grateful that this will end sooner or later. <laughs> and I actually started to practice focusing on small neutral things that I could be grateful for. Second thing I was grateful for was, well, I'm glad this isn't happening during the talk. I don't know which would be worse, during when I'm talking or during the yin. I thought that, well, they're both bad, but at least it will end at some moment and maybe it's happening now, so it'll be gone later. So in other words, you have to fight out your own internal battles when things are negative. Now, if you find yourself overwhelmed with negativity, and I really understand what, how this can be. During the last uh, year, especially during the last year, I have felt that the notifications that come in through uh, the phone and media are extremely overwhelming. You know, to open the phone and see these news headlines coming in about one catastrophe or another and one devastating thing that some world leader is doing or another, it's just so overwhelming. It's really disturbing. It made me kind of like feel disillusioned about the whole world. Maybe you felt something like that yourself. Well, I decided to turn my phone on the airplane mode until after I had finished my meditation, my yoga practice. And this allowed me to control my stage so that then if I chose to and choose to interact with the news, that I have at least established my own vibrational state before being bombarded with the negativity of the world and the news headlines and the you know outrage of the world that seems to be bombarding us all these days. So you have to get stronger within your own vibration. How can you do that? You have to create safe spaces. Turn off the notifications and news notifications on your phone if you feel that the world is full of negativity. Turn off the notifications that, that, that increase your blood pressure, that make you anxious. And instead, take time each day with the phone on the do not disturb or the airplane mode and all the other devices on the airplane mode where the devices are not calling your attention, where you are just free. And then work on your own vibration during that space. Get stronger within yourself. Then when those little missiles come of negativity, of outrage of irritation you'll be in a space where you can say okay this stimulus i want to insert a space before i respond because if you don't what will happen is immediately some negative input comes from the world immediately you're responding you're sharing about it on you know social media demanding that you protest against this and protest against that and there hasn't been any space between stimulus and response another notification comes in and it's another cause to be outraged about and you're protesting against that and screaming out about that and then you are lost amidst all of this you have to insert the space i'm not saying don't protest i'm saying insert the space so that you can consciously choose the how the why the texture and the feeling and so that you're able to maintain a space of harmony and peace even amidst things that you might feel compelled to speak out against as long as you choose consciously and intelligently any action can lead you on the path of liberation 
But any action chosen unconsciously, according to the teaching of yoga, will lead you far away from the path of liberation, down towards a cycle of more suffering. What you might feel is drowning in the sea of negativity. Insert more space between stimulus and response. Gain control over a few days, or a few, few, well, it could be a few days, a few hours in each day that are free from the bombardment of the, the, the news and other negativity of the world. And then number three, practice gratitude about neutrality because that will establish a new habit pattern of mind. I hope that was helpful. Okay, maybe we do one more question. So the next question is, do I have a way to check in throughout the day to keep myself grounded and aware that's kind of instantly available? Well, the tools of meditation called mindfulness, beginning with what is called anapanasati, which is sati meaning awareness and anapana, the inflowing and outgoing breath. So awareness and the inflowing and outgoing breath, beginning of cultivation of mindfulness is something you can have in every moment of your life. So to constantly be aware of the feeling of the inflowing and the outgoing breath in moments when you feel ungrounded, back to the breath. This is number one, first and foremost, back to the breath. The second anchor of mindfulness that you cultivate through yoga practice, meditation practice, is to feel your body, to be aware of body sensations, feel the body, oh, feel the body. So the second thing, at any moment throughout the day, with your eyes open in the middle of a heated conversation or some other situation which is slightly distressing, feel your breath, tune into the body. What do you feel? And be inwardly focused and descriptive about what you feel. For example, tension in the neck. For example, itchy sensations throughout the body or other things that may start to filter into your awareness. Be very conscious and aware, breath and body. The third anchor of mindfulness, be aware of the quality and the, the intensity of your emotions and your thoughts. And this is just to observe, observe, observe. Self-observation, drawing the attention inward, redirects the organs of the senses into the inner world. And this keeps you grounded. You'll be able to feel the contact of your body with the floor underneath you. By focusing on the breath, you are able to focus more internally. This inward aspect of the cultivation of self-awareness also stimulates the center inside of your brain called the insula. And this center inside of your brain literally helps you calm down. So this is using the three anchors of mindfulness repeatedly throughout the day, particularly in moments when you feel ungrounded, just to come back, come back, come back. If it's too much in the moment, here's a little tool that I recommend. You find yourself in the middle of a crazy conversation and it's, it's, it's like a, it starts to be like a freight train that's just taking off and you're like, I don't know how to make this stop. And it's really overwhelming for you. You, you go into a freeze mode where you're not able to respond anymore and it's all like systems are like in your, in, in for you, the, everything is starting to be on red alert. Here's a little tool. Take a break. If it's a conversation, a wonderful thing that at any moment you can do is go to the bathroom. Okay. At any moment, you could say, excuse me, I just need to use the bathroom. I will be right back. Go to the bathroom. And this is a, this is a universal, you don't need to be involved in a spiritual practice at any moment. Anybody will let you go to the bathroom. So go to the bathroom, sit in the bathroom for a moment, take, do a very short meditation, breathe in, breathe out, focus a little bit on longer exhalations, feel your body, come back to the breath, 
and take a few moments in a meditation and then you'll have regained your center. Then you go back and re-engage. And I do this sometimes. I mean, I also drink a lot of water, so it gives me an excuse to actually have to go to the bathroom. And when I'm in the bathroom, I do actually uh, try to think about breath, the body, and mind. Because anytime I'm by myself and I'm not engaged with other beings, I try to come back to myself in that same way of using those anchors of mindfulness fluidly throughout my life, particularly whenever I'm by myself. I try to make that kind of a habit pattern of my mind. So I guess the the next, like the, the part two of the answer to this question is, Take time by yourself often throughout the day. Disengage from interactions with other people. Disengage from any sort of stimulus, whether it's social media, email, text, or any other messaging service. Just take a moment completely to yourself. Periodic check-ins where you're totally without stimulation from any other living being, perhaps except plants or animals that are not going to engage with you verbally and then be in your own space for a few moments each day and why not add in gratitude for the neutral in that moment i find that for me personally if i disengage from other human beings no nothing against other human beings you know but i like them they're nice they can be there you know and they're fun and friendly and we experience happy moments together and all that even my husband though i disengage from him for a moment I go for a walk around the block or a walk on the beach. I find myself during that walk observing things that I would not observe have I, had I been in the company of another human being. I walk by a plant and I observe, wow, this is such a cool plant. It's blooming. I never saw that bloom before. I look up at a cloud. Look at that cloud. It's a cool looking cloud. Wow, that's a cool looking cloud. And then I walk by and see, you know, things I wouldn't see if I was with another being. Take that time each day and practice that, that experience of gratitude about the small neutral moments. You know, the bird that's chirping over there, the breeze that's blowing through the clouds that are in the sky or the blue sky that doesn't have any clouds at all. Those moments really work on cultivating them each day. And that will really change the habit pattern your whole life and lead you to be in a happier, more peaceful place and in all the moments of your life. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining this talk. I have really enjoyed sharing this time with you and look forward to the next time. Otherwise, I just send you a lot of love and I really thank you, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. I hope you found a little bit of inspiration at the intersection between sincere, dedicated spiritual practice and contemporary living. I look forward to seeing you on the mat in person or online at omstars.com for weekly live classes and lots of fun replays. And you can find me on all social channels at Kino Yoga. Leave me a comment. Let me know you're enjoying these episodes so that you keep me inspired to keep going. Your support really doesn't mean the world to me. And I thank you so much for sharing these moments of your day with me. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. 
You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.